0: Say that it is a pleasure, a privilege, and honor to be here this morning. Uh, really, is a gross understatement. Uh, Gary, brother Gary, I appreciate so much the invitation to come back. As I as I sit here and look at so many familiar and beloved faces, with each one with its own memories, it just comes flooding back to me. I just want to stand here, and just look at you for a few minutes. Um, <laughs> It really is a tremendous privilege to be here. I'm I'm so grateful and thankful for the honor. You have no idea how much you all have shaped and influenced my life and and how much of an influence and, and what a foundation this church is for who I am in Christ today. Every room. Every hallway of this building has memories. I mean, I was raised here. I was baptized by Brother Lowry right, right there. I think I was the very first one ever baptized in that baptistry. I sat right here doing children's church and went to RA's and youth group and did all kinds of musicals and even when I couldn't sing, Lynn, I was, you made me participate in all those dramas and stuff. I'll never forget down by the creek bank, my voice cracking like a 13-year-old. And y'all laughed and, wonder, and thought it was wonderful. So many memories, so many memories. Started, I had my first ministry here, driving to church van and started teaching here in a small Sunday school class. Started to use ministry, did a little student ministry here. Just So many memories. And I guess really the only thing I can really say that really sums up how I feel about Redwood is the word grateful.
1: Amen.
0: I am so grateful to God that I was raised in a church like Redwood. A church that never compromised the gospel.
1: Amen.
0: A church that, that stood... And still stands unashamedly on the Word of God. A, a church that has never lost its, its zeal for missions and the, the priority of sharing the Gospel. I'm eternally grateful to have been brought up in a church like Redbud, And I am, and I will say today, that I am thrilled to death that Red Bud continues to have. It did when, when I was growing up under the pastor, uh, Lowry, but it continues to have a pastor who preaches... The Word of God unashamedly, when that is lacking so much in many churches today. And I would encourage you in the Hebrew, in the Word of Hebrews, chapter thirteen, verse seventeen: Obey those who rule over you and be submissive, for they watch out for your souls. Let them do so with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable to you.
1: Amen.
0: So I pray that everybody will always do that. Honestly, I can't even begin to tell you how I have thought and prayed about what message to bring today. Uh, I, I wrestled very much about what message to bring today on a very special day as this 195 years. I thought about preaching about Redbud's rich history and how, even in the last few weeks, going back and reading over the history, and how I think it dawned on me for the first time that Redbud. Very likely was a a product of the first Great Awakening that happened in this country over 200 years ago, and when, when when Shubo Stearns came down and God brought him down to to the Sandy Creek area in, in Randolph County, and and God used him to to preach the gospel, and, and many many churches all over this area were started. The rich history that blood has, I thought about preaching about that, and but I also thought about how preaching about how things change over time. Every time I come back, it seems like things change. You know, the woods grow up, but things look a little different. And how all of life is subject to change, but our firm foundation in Jesus Christ never changes. Amen. And I'm thankful for that. But in the end, God laid in my heart a, a passage I believe fits very well with this occasion. And so my sermon this morning is, is not about Red Bud's Rich History, which it has, or... Uh, our firm foundation in Jesus Christ, which it is, or even our great homecoming. But really it's just a simple prayer that the Apostle Paul wrote to a very beloved church when he was ministering. And I thought it very fitting for today as God knows how much I love this church. And so uh, I will use this passage in, first, uh, in Philippians chapter 1, verses 9-11 as a prayer. My prayer for Redbud Baptist Church. And I'd like to read that at this time again. Paul, writing to the church of Philippi, says this. He says, In this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment, that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ being filled with the fruits of righteousness which are by Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. In this passage, Paul revealed to the church of Philippi just how diligently he he prayed for the church and and as he prayed, he prayed some very basic, very important things on their behalf. And, And beloved, I believe as we look at these short verses, not only can we get a glimpse of how we can pray for one another, but also we can learn some really important things about what life is, what really most important in life by simply examining what he prayed. So, how did Paul pray for this church? And as we look at this text, I want to show you real quickly this morning just three simple requests <laughs> that Paul diligently prayed for this church. I noticed the first one in verse 9. The Apostle Paul diligently prayed that they would abound in love. That they would abound in love. You know, if, if from my memory, if there is one thing that I believe Redbud Baptist Church is known for, it's a loving church. It's a loving church, both inside and outside. And, and it's evident, as you read the book of Philippians, that there was a great love between the Apostle Paul and the Philippian church. It is evident from their, their ministry to him and his response to them that they, were, that they were already manifesting a great deal of love to him. In fact, you don't have to read very far in this book before you discover just how thankful Paul was for this church and how they had ministered to him and cared for him uh, both personally and had become partners with him in the gospel uh, through their financial support. We see further in the chapters how warmly affectionate even the Apostle Paul was to this church and telling them how he had them in in his heart and how he greatly longed for them with the affection of Christ. And so, even though there was already a great amount of love between Paul and this church, it it strikes me that yet the very first thing that Paul prays for is that they would abound in love. All the more that they would abound in love. You see, I believe right off the bat, that teaches us us just how important love is in the Christian life. Now we can look at all, all sorts of passages, right, from... 1 Corinthians, we could look at 1 Corinthians 13, the great love chapter of the Bible. We could could go to uh, John chapter 13 where 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 Jesus talks to his disciples how important love is and how that demonstrates who we are to the world. We could even turn to the book of Revelation chapter 2 where Jesus addresses the church of Ephesus how they had lost their first love. But I don't think we have to do that. The fact that Paul would tell the church, especially this church, I mean, this is one of the churches that he loved the most back in, in his day. That he prayed for this church and he prayed that their love would abound even more really ought to give us a huge indication of just how important love is Amen. in the Word of God. And I want you to notice a couple, a couple things that Paul teaches us here about love. First of all, I would say that real love based on what the Word of God says here, is divine in its nature and origin. That it's divine in its nature and origin. Now why do I say that? Because look at what he says. He says in the first night, he says, And this I pray. This I pray. What is he doing? He's requesting God to do something. I, I find it interesting that he wasn't encouraging the church to be more loving. He's revealing to them a petition that he wants God to produce something in their hearts. Amen. Friends, I don't know if you realize this or not, but real love is one of the sure marks of saving faith. It's one of the pieces of evidence that give us assurance that we are born again. Because the real godly love that, that we see in the Bible is only produced by the Holy Spirit working in our hearts. I mean, I don't know about you, but I don't have this kind of love naturally within me. It's something that God has to do. Romans chapter 5, verse 5. Tells us now hope does not disappoint because, listen, the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us.
1: Or
0: well, even First John, we read, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Now, some of you might be thinking at this point in the message that, well, don't even. People who don't know God, don't don't they love us well? And sure, the answer is yes, but not with this kind of love that Paul is talking about. And that leads us to the second aspect of this love, and that is that real love is based on knowledge and not mere emotions. You see, God's love for mankind and His special love for believers, real love is based on knowledge and a choice. I mean, do we experience warm affections and emotions of love? Certainly. Certainly we do. But listen, real love is based on the intent of the one who loves <laughs> and not on the merit of the one receiving the love. Amen. And that's the real difference. For example, um, you, a very familiar passage, who did Jesus tell us to love in Matthew chapter 5? told us to love our enemies, right?
1: Yeah. The love our
0: enemies. So let me ask you a question, young people, students. Do you have the warm fuzzies for that bully in school that makes your life miserable? That constantly picks on you every day? Ma'am, do you have warm fuzzy feelings for that, that lady at work who constantly takes credit for what you do and is just wanting to use you as the next r- rung of the
1: ladder?
0: Sir, do you have warm fuzzy feelings of affection for that, for that boss who constantly criticizes you, discourages you, and treats you poorly? I mean, maybe y'all do, but I don't. (laughs) My emotions don't work that way. I really don't. Listen, when I was a police officer down in Cobb County, Georgia, I mean, just my mere presence, I'd be just standing there. People ride by flip me off, holler all kinds of obscenities. I've had drunks cuss me out when I try to arrest them. I've had battered women say all kinds of terrible things when I was arresting her sorry husband. Do I have warm, fuzzy feelings for these people? Not really. Maybe I'm just not as mature as some of you. But my emotions don't work that way. Even as a pastor, believe it or not, there are people out there who absolutely hated me. You say, how do you know that? Because they told me. (laughs) Very openly, they told me. We'll say all kinds of things behind my back and behind closed doors, trying to, to smear my character. Do I have warm, fuzzy feelings and warm sentiment toward these people? Not really. No, I didn't. I'm sorry, my emotions just don't work that way. But you see, that's not what Jesus said.
1: Jesus never said you had to feel warm, fuzzy feelings of love for people.
0: What did He say do? He said love. That's right. He said to love. You see, I can choose to be loving for someone whether I feel anything or not. I can choose to be generous and kind and merciful, etc., etc. I can choose to do those things whether I feel anything or not. Maybe like some of you, my, my emotions have often got me in trouble. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I try not to guide my life by my emotions. Real love is about a choice. It's about a a conscious, intentional choice to love, to show generosity, kindness, mercy, whatever. Not because someone deserves it, but because Jesus commands it. You see, it's in obedience to our Lord's command that believers willingly choose to express love to those who are unlovable. To choose to express love to those who will not give it back in return. To choose to express love to those who will use you and abuse you over and over again. Why? Because that's when and how Jesus loved us. When we were unlovable. When we didn't deserve it. I mean, I don't know about you, but I know that's certainly true of me. I mean, think about it. What else besides the love of God would compel a woman like Elizabeth Elliot to stay and be a missionary to the very savages that murdered her husband? What would compel a woman like Corey Tendling to forgive a, a Nazi prison guard who humiliated her and tortured her day after day, and who was an indirect cause of her sister's death. What would cause a woman like that to forgive and love? I don't know of anything but the love of God that can do that. You see, beloved, this kind of love is is divine in nature and in origin. It is not natural. It is not within ourselves. And this is the type of love that pray, that Paul prayed for these people, and beloved, This is the kind of love that I would pray would continue to abound more and more here at Redbud Baptist Church. Amen. A love that is sacrificial and unconditional. But not only did Paul diligently pray that they would abound in love, but number two, he also prayed diligently that they would be forever progressing in spiritual excellence. And we see that in verse 10, where he says that you may approve the things that are excellent. You will notice from that text that my verse says, um, says that you, but you may have so that or that ye. It all indicates that, that the first, the love, is foundational for the second, which is spiritual excellence. You see, when a believer is led and controlled by the love of God, there will be a corresponding desire to live according to His will as fully and as faithful as possible. Now I realize when when we first are saved and and many times initially that desire to be faithful comes out of a sense of duty. It is our duty when God saves us to be faithful, right? I mean, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, for example, says it is required of stewards to be found faithful. It is our duty as Christians as recipients of God's grace and love, to be faithful to Him. It is our duty to love Him. It is our duty to worship Him, and so on and so forth. But as we grow in our faith, as we grow in our knowledge and love for the Lord, as we continually to experience His love and grace in our life, I believe our motive will and should change.
1: Amen.
0: Because all of a sudden, we'll find ourselves... Wanting to be faithful and pleasing to God, not because of a sense of duty, but because we love Him. Because we love Him. I mean, it becomes our greatest pleasure and our our deepest satisfaction to know that we are pleasing to the Father. And this is why spiritual excellence naturally follows abounding love. Because it's out of this love for God that spiritual excellence. Excellence flows. Now, what exactly do I mean by spiritual excellence? What is Paul talking about here when he says, approve the things that are excellent? Well, the word approve, it means to test or to examine, to scrutinize. Like, for example, if you're talking about metals, it's to see whether something is genuine or not. Um, back in 2007, when we, me and my family, my lovely wife and children who are here, when we moved back from Ohio and we lived for about six months with her parents, I, I got the only job I could find, which was being a security guard at a company called Owens Corning. And to this day, I really don't know what all they did, but I do know that they had very, very precious metals in this company. They had a lot of welders and they had very, very precious metals. Because every time I was one of the security guards, there was three on duty all the time, and every every time somebody left the building, they had to go through, it's like being in an airport, they had to come through a metal detector, and everything they had with them had to go through a scanner to make sure nothing was leaving the company. Also, one of my very glamorous jobs at that time was to scan every piece of trash that left the building. I'm serious, every piece of trash they left that building, whether it was a McDonald's bag or, you know, a garbage bag, had to go through a mountain <coughs> Because it was so so many precious metals. And I remember one time, for example, it was I was scanning that I had. It. Don't joke, I mean, I, that was a wonderful job, you know. <laughs> you know, slipped, sifting through everybody's lunches and all that stuff. and You know, and, and that, was really, you know, that was really good. When I you find something and you have to go digging through half eaten sandwiches and bananas and uh, whatever. But anyway, I remember one time, I was putting some trash through and eight little spots came up on the screen. So of course I had to back it up and start digging through it. <coughs> I found a McDonald's bag and balled up in a napkin were eight little pieces of metal about about that big. Well, nothing was supposed to leave the company. I didn't know what it was. So I set it aside, marked it, put it in the bag, and give it to somebody who was smarter than me who knew what it was. Two days later, the, one of the presidents of the company came by and shook my hand and said, Sir, I just want you to know that you did a wonderful job. Thank you so much for being so diligent. You saved the company about $10,000 yesterday. I said, like, wow, okay. I mean, that's how serious it was. Um, but that's what the kind of thing was they were in this place where they had, they had to prove, they had to test, they had to examine these metals. And that's the picture that Paul paints for us here. It's approving something, testing it to see if it's, it's, it's thoroughly <coughs> a good quality. And in reference to spiritual excellence, Paul, he isn't talking about simply acknowledging what is right and wrong because that, that only takes the very basic you know, knowledge, right? I mean, for example, recognizing that it's not good to steal. I mean, even a child... Knows they shouldn't see. Amen. That's not what Paul is talking about. He, what he's talking about is, is really going a little <laughs> deeper, you know, thinking and studying and and considering very carefully in order to determine the best possible way to obey and please the Lord. And then doing that. It's, it's, going, it's going beyond what is simply good and evil or or what's bad and, and, and right. It's going deeper to, to really understand what's at the heart of this attitude, of this action, this behavior that I'm doing? What is what is at the heart of it? What is the best thing that I can do to really please God? What is most crucial? What is most pleasing to God in this context? And, and how do I do that and then live accordingly? That's what Paul is talking about when he says approving that which is excellent. And again, that is would be my continued prayer for Redbud is that you would so increase in your love and devotion for Jesus Christ that you would be able to approve the things that are excellent and then live accordingly, as Paul prayed here. And truthfully, beloved, I, I believe this is something that is lacking in the modern church. I mean, because the idea of being excellent is is thinking through everyday issues of life to determine the the best way to live with the very highest devotion to our Lord and Savior. To be honest, friends, it's it's this ability to discover what is excellent and then to live accordingly. It's really what separates mature believers from immature or more committed to less committed. They're really strong in faith to the weak in faith. And that's why Paul diligently prayed that they would progress in the area of spiritual excellence. And again, this is my prayer for you all, that you would forever be progressing in spiritual excellence. In other words, that you would not be content to be just spiritually okay or mediocre. That you would not want to be content with the the same place you are today as you were ten years ago. Dear friends, I believe that God is deserving of more than that. I believe He's deserving of our very best. And I believe that God wants us to press on to spiritual maturity. I mean, think about it. You who are parents. Do you want your kids to stop maturing at the age of 13? Keep growing physically, but don't ever get beyond a 13-year-old 13, 13 mentality. Or worse, or a five or six-year-old mentality—that would be tragically sad, wouldn't it? I mean, I look at my boys over there. You know, one of them's five. reading really is five, and he's—I I love him to death, and he's cute as he can be. But if he still acts like he does ten years from now, if he does today, we're gonna have problems. We've got major problems. Why? Because I want him to grow up, right? I don't want him to be living in my house when he's 30 years old. I want him to grow up. And God wants the same for us. He doesn't want us to be spiritual babes when we've been saved for 15, 20 years. He wants us to progress. He wants us to grow. But we have to take our faith seriously. We have to take our growth seriously. We have to to attach ourselves to the Word of God and take it seriously. And this is what I pray that we would continue to do that. That you as Red Baptist Church that you would abound more and more in love. That you would be forever progressing in spiritual excellence. And finally, that you would abound in good works and godly character. And that's the last thing that Paul that I'm going to deal with this morning. Verse 11, that, that he diligently prayed that they would abound in the fruits of righteousness. He says that in verse 11. He says, being filled with the fruits of righteousness. What are they? Now I think when I think about it, I, I have to think about it in two categories. One, there's internal fruit, and then there's external fruit. Yep. First of all, there's the internal fruit of a godly character. For example, in Galatians chapter five, he says the word of God says, But the fruit of the spirit is what? Is love, joy, peace, long suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self control. What do we call this? We call this the fruit of the spirits. When the Spirit is is in control in our lives, this is the kind of things that will be in our life. These attitudes, these character qualities, that's all encompassing of a a godly character. And Paul prayed that this church would abound in godly character. You know, I think it's so sad today that the loss of character and integrity is much in our world today you would be absolutely amazed. Or maybe you wouldn't be amazed, but I've been amazed at how many people, for example, will look me straight in the eye, straight to me, just straight to me, and lie to my face and never blink. You know? I mean, I've had everyone from the, you know, the drunk on the street to the most uppity soccer mom in town look at me straight in my face and lie to my face when I knew the truth. Believe it or not, well-respected pastors, men of great standing and high reput- of high reputations, looked me straight in the face and lied just as smooth as Satan.
1: But
0: yeah. they didn't know that I knew the
1: truth. I mean, where is the where is the character today? Where's our char- where's our integrity? Where's our our faithfulness? To the
0: truth. It seems to be disappearing. And John people, if I could give you just a little bit of wisdom this morning. There are a few things in life that are more important than your word. Don't sell it and don't give it away. Stay true to your word, even to your hurt. Stay true to your word because once you throw it away, it's hard to get it back. Be a person of character. Be a person of integrity. Keep your word. I know that we live in a world today where you don't do a business deal without signing the dotted line and having something written on paper. But be a person of character. Be a person of your word. Well, not only do we have the internal fruit of a godly character, but I believe also we have the external fruit of good works. And this is all kinds of things. I mean... Good works such as having a heart and desire to win the lost and then, and then actually doing it. Or, or taking a, a new believer under your wing and, and training them and discipling them is external fruit. Living a holy life that is not marred by sin is external fruit. Living above reproach and not giving the appearance of evil is external fruit. Caring for the sick and afflicted, being an encourager. Visiting and caring for those who are grieving, being a comfort and support. Meeting the physical needs of those less fortunate.
1: Amen.
0: Taking a young couple that is, that is struggling in their marriage and come along beside them and praying with them and encouraging them and helping them in their marriage. Showing grace to the one who is being held by an addiction. Lending a helping hand to those who are caught in sin. I mean, all these and many more are just examples of external fruits of good works. And beloved, I, I believe as a church, we should be abounding in good works. Amen. We should abound in good works. You say, that sounds like a lot of work, Travis. Well, maybe it is, but you want to know something encouraging? This is not something that we do on our own. Sure. This is not something that we muster up in ourselves, because what? look at what he says. The Word of God makes it very clear here, that all of these are by Jesus Christ. It's Jesus Christ working in our hearts through the Holy Spirit that does these things. In fact, he, Jesus Himself says in, in John chapter 15 verse 4, He says, Abide in Me and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in Me. Amen. So you see, good works aren't, the, aren't things that we muster up the willpower and, and do ourselves. All we have to do is constantly abide in Christ, and He will accomplish all that He wants to do through us. And then all of a sudden, as Paul says here, all the glory and praise will be to God. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm so thankful that it's not my job to abound in love, it's not my job to spiritually progress. In excellence. It's not my job to develop a godly character. All I have to do is abide in Christ. And He'll do all that through me. He'll do all that in my heart. Because listen, I don't have the capacity to do that in and of myself. I don't have the heart to love the way Christ loves. I don't have the heart to give the way Christ gives. If I'm expecting to do it, It's going to flop and fail every time. But if I hold close to Christ, if I abide in Christ and give Him control of my life, then He can do all kinds of things without me. And so, beloved, that's where I'm going to close it in just ask you, what about you this morning? Where are you at spiritually? How are you doing in these three categories that we've talked about this morning, abounding in in real love and, and excelling in moral excellence, a so spiritual excellence. Demonstrating that godly character at home and work and wherever you go. Abiding in Christ. How, where are you at? Are you, how are you? If you're here today and you've never turned and surrendered to Christ and never accepted, accepted Him as your Lord and Savior, then I, you know, obviously, that's the very first, very first thing I would ask you, encourage you to do. Because there's no greater decision than that.
1: Amen.
0: But I have a feeling that probably for the majority of us, most of us probably have made decisions for Christ. But I would ask you: Are we progressing in our decision? Because once we made that decision, I, I remember it so so plainly. And I'll share just a word of testimony, and then we'll be done. But I made my first decision for Christ back when, and back in 1985, sitting on an old stone wall up there at Murphy's Hardware Store, Brother Lowry had come. I remember it so plain. Brother Lowry had come, and and he was just going to the store. I guess to get a drink or something. Hey, he didn't know what was going, as uh, far as what I was going, what was going on in my heart. But I walked up to him and said, "Hey, Brother Lowry, I just I didn't think about getting saved." And he led me over there to that little rock wall, and he prayed with me to receive Jesus Christ and I was baptized right here. Amen. But can I tell you I didn't really truly understand what it meant to walk with Christ until I was about 18. And I was down there at Fort Casual with a youth group and God really got a hold of my heart because I wanted to live right. I, I'm going to be honest with you for many years when I was a teenager I was a hypocrite. I was one thing in church. I was another thing in school. Day. I was a hypocrite, and God got a hold of my life. And he said, Travis, if you're gonna uh, if you're gonna uh, uh, hold on to me as far as you don't call yourself a Christian, you're gonna live like one." Amen.
1: Well,
0: I'm gonna be done with you. Yeah, that's
1: right.
0: And God got a hold of my heart, and I got down on my knees that 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 week. I remember so clearly uh, with a, a college guy named Steve Whitley. He he once again shared the gospel with me, how Christ wanted to come in and take charge of my life. And I think for the very first time, at least for me at that time, I understood what it meant to give Christ complete control. That I didn't need to be in the driver's seat. I needed to be in the passenger's seat. And I surrendered my life to Him that day, and my life forever changed after that. Now, I wasn't perfect (laughs) by no stretch of the imagination. You can ask my lovely wife that. She can give you a lot of stories. I was not perfect even after that. But I wasn't the same man I was before. And so it was then that I I started to really grow and understand what it meant to walk with Christ on a daily basis and and daily surrender to Him. Lord, You're in charge. I want You to take charge of my life. You be Lord. Tell me what You want me. And that's when things really began to change in my life. So I, I just share that with you to encourage you. Where are you at this moment? Have you really completely surrendered to Him? Are you really allowing Him to take charge and call the shots in your life? Or are you kind of like me when I was 8 years old? I, I, I was saved and I, I made that profession of faith and was baptized and it was like I, I was signing the back of a check You know, when somebody gives you a check, you you sign the backup and you you go to the bank and get your money, but you don't have to think about that check no more. Well, that's not what it's like being a Christian. Being a Christian is more like joining the army. You sign the dotted line, and then your life changes. Amen. Because you're not yours anymore. You belong to Him. I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to turn the
1: service back over to Brother Gary. Close and lead the invitation however God leads you to do it.